Awesome. Well, hey, I want to give a, a special shout out to the, not only those of you here in the room, but also those of you who are joining us uh, online. I want to say thanks for joining us. Maybe you're listening to a podcast. Uh, welcome to Central to you as well. And just for you o- online this week, uh, our very own Brooke has put together notes for you. So we're going to be following along here in the room. If you've got a program on your way in, you can follow along with us throughout the message. Uh, but online, you can go to our website. It's simply centralsj.org. And then you hit forward slash notes. And you can follow along if you're watching online. But special shout out. Let's give it up for those that are joining us online. We're glad you guys are are here. Yeah. If you're ever in the San Jose area, we would love for you to to drop in. Well, hey, if I told you this week I read this article from uh, Harvard Medical School, and Harvard Medical School, they they, uh, found uh, that there is something actually, they discovered something more beneficial to your health than quitting smoking, losing weight, or working out. Would you be interested to know what that, that is? Awesome. We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, but uh, we're in week three of a series we're calling Uphill, or we're calling, calling Habits. We're calling Habits. And so John Maxwell said this. We kind of laid a foundation, if you're just jumping in with us, uh, that, that John Maxwell said this, said most people have uphill hopes, but downhill habits. Uh, I mean, we have uphill hopes, like we want to lose weight. We want to quit smoking. We want to uh, be debt-free. We want to get rid of the college loans. We want to live life with margins so we can actually be present whenever we are at home. We have uphill hopes, but we also have downhill habits. And we've, we've been talking about, man, if we're going to achieve our hopes that are uphill, then, man, we've got to have some, some uphill habits to, to get us there. And so uh, we're going to read Romans 12.2. And why don't, why don't we stand to our feet? A little bit different. Why don't we stand to our feet? Let's read this together. And whenever I get to a yellow word today, can you help me out? You're going to help me preach this message today uh, by reading the yellow words. And so uh, Romans 12.2, this is from the message paraphrase. Here's what it says. It says, fix your attention on God. Like, that's good right there. We could just, your church is dismissed, go and do that, right? Just fix your attention on God. Uh, that'd be good. It says you'll be changed from the inside out. Most of us, we, we try to change ourselves from the outside in, but God wants to change us from the, the inside out. It says readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to this level of immaturity, God brings out the, the best, the best out of you and uh, develops well-formed maturity in you. Why don't you give a couple of people a high five, then have a seat and say, I'm bringing my best. I'm bringing my best. Then you can be seated. We want to bring our best, right? And so let me just ask you in a, in a form of a question. Do you feel like the best has been brought out of you? Like, like do you feel like you've already tapped out? You've already reached your God-sized potential? Huh? If you're like me, and I assume from the laughter, we realize, man, we have not reached our God-sized potential. I feel like I've got more left in the tank. I feel like i got a lot of ground I can make up in my own life, right? And so, so I would say not only does God want to bring the best out of you, but I would say for, for us as a church, our, my hope is that Central Christian Church brings out the best in you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Aristotle said this, said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. In other words, we, we create our habits, but then our habits create us. And if we're going to experience God's best in our life, we're going to become the people that God created us to be, then we need a little bit more than hope. I mean, we, we need hope. Hope's important. But hope isn't a strategy. 
Uh, we need some habits that are going to carry us to be those people that, that God created us to be. So we've been talking about habits in this series. Week one, we talked about putting first things first. We talked about not only is there an order to the way we put toilet paper on the toilet paper roll, uh, you know, but, but there's an order to the way that we should order our lives. And we talked about putting God first in that. Uh, last week, we talked about controlling our thoughts. And man, the Bible has a lot to say about this thing called our thought life and, and our minds and how we take control of our, our minds because really the, the, the battle is waged in our minds, the mind's a battlefield. And so we can you go back online and listen to that if you missed that. But this week we're going to be talking about habit three. And habit three is I need to choose my relationships carefully. I need to choose my relationships carefully. Here's what social researcher Robert Putnam wrote. Uh, he says, the single most common finding from half a century's research, think about that. They've been gathering data for half a century uh, on life satisfaction, not only here in the U.S., but around the world. Here's what they've discovered, is that, that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and the depth of one's social connections. So not just having, knowing a lot of people, but also the depth of them. Man, half a century's research on life satisfaction. So this is a, this is a big deal, right? So we need to talk about this. We need, we need to choose our relationships carefully. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 19. It says, a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he's really like is shown by the kind of friends. He chooses. Like our friends are a big deal. Like I can look in the mirror and say, yeah, I need to fix this. I need to do this. I need to put on what, not, I wouldn't put on makeup, but some of you ladies might put on makeup. You know what I mean? But you, you look in the mirror, you can see that. But, but your, your heart, like kind of the motives of our heart is kind of dictated by the friends that we choose. It says a lot about us. And so kind of an overview of where we're going today. Uh, we're going to look at four verbs, four actions for us to take in the first section. Then we're going to talk about four practical handles. So, so it's a lot of content. Uh, I don't know if you're free for the next eight hours. You guys free for... All right, well, I'm going to just kind of do a flyby then, uh, and, uh, and then we'll live the rest of our lives trying to apply uh, what we read today. So the first verb is this. I need to nurture my important habits, or my important relationships, rather. I need to nurture the important re- habits as well, but uh, nurture my important relationships. Ho- hopefully you have some important relationships in your life. You know, um, maybe your spouse, that's an important relationship. Maybe kids, grandkids, great-grandkids for some of us. Those are important relationships. Maybe a relationship with a coworker. Uh, your relationship with God, I hope, is, is important to you. But we need to nurture those relationships that, that are important to us. Um, here's the deal with relationships. Relationships aren't necessarily good or bad because of the people that are in them. Uh, relationships are typically good or bad depending on how, how well we nurture them, right? Uh, how, how are we putting uh, emphasis and energy into those relationships? Uh, for example, how many of you have built a fire? You guys have built a fire. You have a fire in your, in your home, fireplace in your home, wood stove. You've gone camping, you built a fire. Uh, man, the, the way you build a fire is similar to the way you build relationships. Like, and, it, and it takes a little bit of work, right? Um, I, I, because of the nature of my work, I get to talk to people who sometimes will say, you know what, Pastor Tim, the, the fire's just gone out in that relationship. And uh, maybe if you're from the South, like Gary moved from Alabama, they say the far, the far, the pastor, the far has just gone out in that their relationship. I say, wow, tell me, tell me about that. And they talk about the relationship like the fireplace, right? Now, if the fire goes out of the fireplace, is it the fireplace's fault? No, I mean, we got to nurture that fire. And so, so here they'll say, hey, pastor, you know what? The fire has just gone out in that relationship. And I want to say, hey, buddy, here's what you need. The fireplace is not the problem. What you need, partner, is a log. You need a log for that fireplace. You need to take some newspaper and twist it up real tight and stick it under that log. And here's what you need, buddy. You need a match. You need a match, buddy. And and light that fire. Get that fire going again, right? And here's what you're going to discover. Once that fire starts rolling, you get cozy up on that couch, get your hot chocolate, you know? You get ready. Hey, 
fire's rolling. But here's what you're going to discover. It's not going to be long. You have to go back out in the cold. Get another log. Throw it back on that fire. We've got to maintain, nurture the relationships that are important to us. We've got to keep the fire rolling. Uh, relationships take work. They need to be nurtured. Uh, but just because they, they, they take work doesn't mean it's a bad relationship. It just means it's a relationship, right? Relationships need to be nurtured. You might have heard people say, well, the grass looks greener on the other side, right? Hey, if the grass looks greener on the other side, I guarantee the water bill is higher. You don't want that. You don't want that. <laughs> the grass is greener where the water is nurtured. You know, I mean? you got some grass under your feet. Why don't you water where you're planted and let that grass become greener? Here's what it says in 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. It says, the end of all things is near. Let me just pause there and say, do you believe that? Do you believe that the end of all things, not do we just believe that cognitively, do we align our life like, like the end of all things is near, like our time on earth is short, that we've got a limited window of opportunity with our kids, we've got a limited window of opportunities with my spouse, I've got a limited window of impact with my coworkers, I've got a limited window. Peter says that the end of all things is near. Sometimes I think I live my life, if I'm being honest, like I'm going to live forever. But, but here's the deal, even if I live for another hundred years, this passage would still be true. My time is short. I have a limited window of opportunity to make an impact. And man, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. The end of all things is near. Uh, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Check this out. Above all, love. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Man, if we got that right, it'd be a game changer. So we need to nurture some important relationships. Love covers a multitude of sins. We need to invest in those relationships. Uh, second verb, second action is this. We need to restore some broken relationships. We need to restore some broken relationships. Uh, I, I know it's a painful process, right, restoring broken relationships. But let me just ask a question. Is the pain of fixing what is broken better than avoiding the pain that currently exists? You know? And so he, as I played basketball back in the day. It's been a long time uh, since I played basketball. But uh, during, during a game, uh, this guy, the point guard, passed me the ball, right? And I go to make my move before I catch the ball, right? And so the ball hits my finger, and my pinky goes and snaps back, right? Back and to the right. Pinkies aren't supposed to do that. And so my pinky is, like, jacked. But I could say, you know what, trainer? You know what, coach? I'm good. Just, it's just a broken pinky. I'll be fine. Like, just let me keep playing, the pain of continuing to play with a broken pinky would be worse than just resetting it. So, so ref calls timeout. I go over to the trainer. He says, hey, let me see that, let me see that finger. He says, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to reset it, right? And so he goes, one, two, crack. I was like, what happened to three, right? He said, no, it's better this way. So he just taped him up, and he said, go back in the game. And coach is like, hey, you're going back in, buddy. Awesome. Well, hey, let's go. For some of us here, I feel like we've been playing basketball with a broken pinky, and what coach needs to do is just pull you aside and say, hey, buddy, we got to reset that thing. And it's going to hurt. But, but, hey, is the pain of playing the game with a broken pinky worse than just resetting the pinky? I mean, just reset that thing and move forward. Check this out. Unforgiveness is kind of like setting yourself on fire and hoping the other person dies from smoke inhalation, right? It's, it's like you're hurting yourself in that process. That person is not being hurt. You are burning up, brother. you got to fix that. Well, there's good news. There's good news. Uh, Romans 12, 17 through 18 says this. It says, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, not them, 
you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So there's good news, right? Like, hey, you, you only are responsible for your side of the street. I realize it takes two people in this deal, but you're responsible for you. The, the bad news is you are responsible for you. <laughs> That's a challenge. That's a challenge. Uh, Colossians 3.13 says this. It says, uh, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ouch, right? Um, throughout the New Testament, we're, we're told to one another, those around us, 59 times. 59 times we're told to one another, those around us. And I think one can make an argument that the reason we are commanded to one another, those around us, is because in Christ, God has already one anothered you. So check this out. Be at peace with each other. Why? Because through Christ, God is at peace with you. Love one another. Why? Because through Christ, God has extended his love for you. While you were still jacked up doing your own deal, God pursued you. He died on the cross for you. Like while we were still sinners, right, the Bible says, he pursued us because he loved us. He went first. It says serve one another in love. Why? Because Christ came not to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Stop passing judgment on one another. Why? Because if you're a follower of Jesus today, judgment has already been rendered over your life. You are set free. There is no debt to be repaid. Judgment has already been rendered. You're, you're free. It's good news. God went first. Then we hit this one. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So whenever we hit the F-bomb in this verse, the why behind it is because we've already received it. And so, so check this out. Bear with each other. Bear could be uh, translated uh, long-suffering. Be long-suffering with each other. Uh, it could be make allowances for other people's faults. Hey, it's not a matter of if someone's going to offend you. It's a matter of when they're going to offend you, right? I'm just telling you, we're people. It happens. But when it happens, don't be surprised by it. Be like, oh, I knew this would come. I know how I'm supposed to respond. Awesome. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to forgive whatever grievances we have against one another. Grievances. That, that word could be grievance could be translated uh, complaints. You got any complaints against anybody? Well, there's an opportunity to forgive. You, 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 have you ever cast blame on somebody else? Whenever you cast blame, uh, sociologists say that blame is simply our way of discharging pain or discomfort, right? And so we, we try to discharge pain or discomfort and avoid what we actually is at the root of that. And, and so we just cast blame rather than saying, you know what, I need to, I need to take care of my side of the street. I'm going to stop casting blame and I'm going to actually forgive. I need to forgive. Uh, that's not easy. I get that. Um, but if we're going to restore some broken relationships or some people we have to let off the hook and say, you know what, I'm not holding that against you any longer. Here's what, here's what unforgiveness says. Unforgiveness says you owe me. Forgiveness says you don't owe me anymore. It's not the same as restoration. It's not the same as trust. Those are two very different things. But it's saying, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of setting myself on fire hoping that you, get, you, you die from smoke inhalation. <laughs> I'm going to put the fire out. So, hey, that's going to be important if we're going to uh, restore some broken relationships uh, the third verb is this. I need to sever harmful relationships. I need to, there's some relationships we just need to sever. We just need to cut them off. It's over. Uh, there's a hashtag floating around on Twitter, uh, why I'm single. And so they, 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 they comment, hey, this is why I'm single. And, they, and so here's what uh, Baby Rose Dagger posted. And that's not the punchline, but that is funny. That might be why she's single. Uh, but here's what she said. She said, when I was dating, my ex, I brought my ex over to meet my parents, and my dad pretended to rob us to see if my boyfriend would protect me. <laughs> Hashtag why I'm single, right? 
I can empathize with the female, but as a dad of a daughter, I'm kind of like, I'm going to take note of that. <laughs> hey, listen here, buddy. If you use my daughter as a human shield, you're going to have more than a burglar on your hands. Like, there's going to be problems. Sam Morell said, I-, I used to date a hoarder, and she broke up with me. That stings extra hard. I'm like the one thing she can get rid of. (laughs) Some relationships, though, just need to be severed. You got to cut it off. Right? I'm not sure who lost in that one. Uh, Here's the deal. I'm not talking about building a a gated community that only Christians are allowed in. We will not be a church that functions as a cul-de-sac. We will build bridges and we will turn on lights to our community. I'm not talking about not not reaching out to the community around us. We will not, trust me, we will not be a Christian country club. That is not what I came here for. Our our leader didn't lead that way, right? Uh, Jesus, who hung out with with prostitutes and people that the the self-righteous would would stiff arm. He said, no, you need to come close. They were, he was a friend of sinners. But but there's some relationship we just got to cut off. But here's what I'm talking about. Matthew uh, 5, 27 through 30. Jesus is talking, man, this is, these are some harsh words. He says, you know what? Hey, if, you're, if your eye causes you to sin, you need to just like gouge it out. Whoa. If your hand, if your right hand causes you to sin, you need to chop that puppy off beyond it, right? He says, better to, 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 to go to, to heaven with one eye or one hand than it is to go to hell with like both, right? Serious language here. And here's what he's talking. He's not talking about self-mutilation. He's not talking about you literally need to gouge out your eye or chop off your hand. Here's what I believe Jesus is saying. We got to deal harshly with things that cut us off from our relationship with God. We got to sever some things that are roadblocks to our relationship and to becoming who God created us to be. We need to deal drastically with those things. I read a story about this couple, married couple. Uh, they, they live in the same house. They're, they're a married couple. And they, they start having uh, flirtatious relationships with somebody else uh, on, on Facebook. And so they had created aliases. And, uh, and they're having this relationship. And, and things escalate to where they're like, we're going to meet. Right? And so they, they, they go to meet this individual that they have been flirting with for over a period of time. And they show up. And it's their spouse. They were flirting with each other. On Facebook, under some alias. And they're so frustrated with each other, they split up. They say, we're getting a divorce. Those are the relationships we've got to cut. We've got to say, you know what? Hey, trust me, sir. Trust me, ma'am. You will leave a wake of destruction if you don't sever that relationship. It's not worth it. Here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs thirteen twenty: He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Write this down. Get a tattoo of it. Uh, write it on a post-it note and stick it on your kid's head. So every time they walk up to you, remind your kids of this. Uh, here's the, here it is. Write this down. What and who you listen to will determine what you do. What and who you listen to will determine what you do. Take it to the bank. It is true. What and who you listen to will determine what you do. And, and here's another one. You might want to write this one down as well. You might want to tweet this out. Tweet your peeps, this one. Here it is. Uh, it is impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends, right? It's impossible. It's just, I'm just telling you, it's impossible to live the right kind of life when you have the wrong kind of friends. Because that's what 1 Corinthians 15.33 says. It says, don't be misled. Bad company is going to corrupt good character. You can have some good character, but you get in the wrong circle, it's going gonna, it's gonna to corrupt it. It's going to be downhill. All right, uh, fourth verb is this. I need to initiate some meaningful relationships. This is where it gets positive. The, the first three were kind of course correction. Uh, this is a positive one. We need to initiate some, some healthy relationships. All right? So uh, 
The main point of this one is to join a group. So you need to join a group. Moving on. Next one. Uh, no, that is important, though. We need to initiate some, some healthy relationships. Here's what I believe. I believe you weren't created to do life alone. You weren't created to do life alone. You, you need some people around you to celebrate life's mountaintop experiences and to walk with you uh, through the dark valleys. It reminds me of this, this pastor, uh, Preacher Norton. He, it was a bright, sunny day. He woke up on Sunday morning. He's going to go, uh, he decides he's going to go play golf, right? So he convinces his associate pastor, hey, you're going you're gonna to take the helm today. I need you to preach. I'm not feeling good, right? Uh, pastors lie too. Uh, and so he says, I, he's got in his mind, I'm going to go play golf. So he drives 50 miles away, right, to play golf where no one else is around him, right? And St. Peter's like watching down from heaven. He's like, Lord, you're going to let him get away with this. About that time, this, this pastor tees off, crushes it, first hole. It goes, it goes 400 yards, hits right in front of the green, rolls in, 115-yard hole in one. Yeah, it, yeah right? <laughs> and, and Peter's like, are you serious, Lord? Like, how is this going to... And, and the Lord says, well, who's he going to tell, right? Who's he going to tell? <laughs> He's the pastor playing golf. They're in church. You can't tell anybody. You need some people. When you hit a hole in one, you can celebrate, right? You need some people whenever life... Hit you in a hole in one. You need to uh, have some people to come alongside you and help you out. Life is better together. We weren't created to do life alone. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up meeting together, right? You can meet together in a lot of places. You can meet together on the golf course. You can meet together on the basketball court. You can meet together watching a football game. You can meet together in the office. You can meet together in a lot of different places. But let us not give up meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day. You see that word, it's capitalized, capitalized day. Throughout the New Testament, you'll see this from time to time. The day of the Lord approaching, the the, the day's approaching. In other words, man, time's short. Don't give up meeting together. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. So how are we going to master this habit? How are we going to take hold of this? How are we going to apply it to our lives? Uh, The first is this. I need to develop relationships with my church. My hope is that you, you come to call this place my church. I don't just attend there, but that's my, my church. Uh, Ephesians 2.19 in the Living Bible says this. It says, uh, you are members of God's very own family, and you belong to God's household with every other Christian. Here's what Kerry Newhoff says. He says, I, I realize many Christians argue that they're done with church. That still doesn't change my view that the only one who believes Christians are better off alone is the enemy. Listen, the enemy of your soul would prefer you to do life alone. You, you just watch the Discovery Channel. You ever seen those wildebeest, those packs of wildebeest? First uh, Peter says that the, bio, the, the, that, that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour. You watch the Discovery Channel, the, the wildebeest are in a pack. The gazelles are in a pack. But what the enemy tries to do, he comes in and he tries to peel one off. And as soon as he does, I'm just saying, you're lunch. We're better together. We need to develop relationships with my church. Second thing we need to do is develop relationships with godly friends. Godly friends. Acts 2.44 says, All the believers met together consistently, and shared everything with each other. Uh, you don't have to share everything with everyone, but you do need at least one person you can share everything with. Like, like they know everything about you. You can be totally transparent with them. But one of the best ways to be transformed is by being around people who are being transformed. Uh, go on a journey together. Um, and here's this question. How do you know if they're a godly friend? How, how do you know if that person's godly or not? I would just say they make you feel closer to God. Like you around them, they challenge you, they help you become who you were created to be. Uh, life change takes place best in, in context of community. And here's what the, that Harvard article 
said. So Harvard Medical School uh, published this article actually this month. And so Dr. Lee Thomas, a medical doctor, he wrote this. He says, every January, most of us make a list of New Year's resolutions. Maybe we want to strengthen our bodies or resolve to eat better uh, or determine to not smoke any longer. Uh, as it turns out, strengthening your social relationships may be an effect worth adding to your list of New Year's resolutions for the good of your health. Not because the pastor said so, but Harvard says so, for the good of your health. Check this out. Social connections like those not only give us pleasure, but they influence our long-term health in ways every bit as powerful as adequate sleep, a good diet, and not smoking. Dozens of studies have shown that people who have, a satisfy, who have satisfying relationships with their family, their friends, their community are happier and have fewer health problems and live longer. Conversely, a lack of social relationships uh, has close ties associated with depression, later cognitive decline, as well as an increase in mortality. One study which examined 309,000 people found that the lack of strong relationships increased the risk of premature death across all causes by 50%, an effect on mortality risk roughly comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day and greater than obesity or physical inactivity, end quote. So unless you want to die or lose your mind, you need to join a group today. I'm just saying, you need to join a group today. Don't argue with me. That's what Harvard said. I'm just telling you the facts. <laughs> All right, the third one. I need to develop my relationships with the team. I need to develop relationships with the team. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 8, and 9 reads this. It says, uh, there was a man all alone. He was all alone. He had neither son or brother. There was no end to his toil. Like he just worked and worked and worked and worked, and he thought it would bring him satisfaction. But here's what he says. It says, yet my eyes were not content with his wealth. Like he just cured a lot of stuff, but he did it all alone. And he achieved a lot of stuff. But, but here's what it says. Two are better. They're better than one because they have a good return on their labor. In other words, more than being known for something, we need to be known by someone or someones. More than being known for something, we need to be known by some some people, some people around us. Uh, that's essentially what Theodore Roosevelt uh, was reiterating whenever he, he said this quote. He said, uh, it may be true that he who travels furthest who travels alone, but the goal thus reached is not worth reaching. You know, like you can travel far by yourself. You can move at a, at a rapid clip, but when you get there, what's worth? So, hey, I want to encourage you to join a team. Uh, we got a lot of opportunities for you to join a team. We got, we got these bad boys, again, in the seat back in front of you. Multiple purposes for these. Uh, but if you're interested in joining a team, maybe you want to invest in a future generation. I, I believe right now there are future doctors, lawyers, pastors, missionaries, meeting just a few feet from us right over there in the kids' area. You want to invest into some of their lives? We would love for you to join a team. You can fill out this card, just click, just check serve. Uh, maybe you, you have a passion, you have a gift for graphic design or photography. We would love for you to join a team and use that gift and talent here at the church. Maybe you, you, can, you can sing. I, I can't sing. Um, my wife tells me I'm like a jailbird singer. I'm always a few bars behind and looking for a key. But, but anyway... Uh, <laughs> She's not that corny. I am. She doesn't say that. But if you can sing, you can play an instrument. Man, we'd love to have you join a team. Just fill out that card. Check that box. We want to serve. We'll follow up with you. We'd love for you to join a team today. And then finally, uh, I need to develop relationships with God. I need to develop my relationship with God. This is the last point. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Think about this. Like the creator of the universe the God who hung the stars in sky, right? Who created all the vast expanse that scientists are still discovering goes on and on and on. Like we're, we're, there's still planets and galaxies we're still discovering. It's, it's infinite out there. 
But he also created like the caverns and the caves and he created uh, mice and ants and giraffes and hippos. Like he's creative and he has a sense of humor. I'm just saying, the God of the universe wants to draw near to you. He says, you draw near to me, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna draw near to you. What an audacious claim. Here, check this out. You can have as much of God in your life as you choose, right? What, a, what an invitation. What an opportunity. Here's what it says in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, there it is, wholeheartedly, you will find me. Listen, if you just try, to, try, try this church thing, I'm just telling you, religion will not develop a relationship with God. But it's important. It's part of it. Like, we're better together. I believe that. But you got to go after God with your whole heart to say, God, my life is yours. My family is yours. My finances are yours. God, my, my gifts, my time, my talents are yours. I recognize my time here is very short. And I'm not going to half-heart this thing. I'm going all in. God, I need you. I need to develop my relationship with God. So let's do a review. Okay, we talked about a lot, a lot of content today. Each one of these could be a standalone sermon. So uh, Roger, in uh, this summer, he's gonna do a message on all these. Uh, that'd be awesome. He doesn't know that yet, but it's good, it's good. So here, here I want you to pick one. There's eight things we talked about. Pick one. Don't, don't be paralyzed by, or overwhelmed by, by all the content. Just pick one to focus on this week, okay? So we need to choose relationships carefully. What are you gonna choose? Number one, we, we talked about nurturing the important relationships. When's the last time you took your wife out on a date? Maybe this week, you're gonna put the phone on the charger when you get home so you can be present with those kids. Time is short, right? But maybe you need to nurture some of those important relationships. Maybe you need to put another log back on that fire, keep that fire rolling, that far, keep it rolling. Maybe we need to restore some broken relationships. Maybe you're trying to play ball with a broken pinky. Call time out, reset that thing. Get it right, get back in the game. Maybe you need to sever some harmful relationships. Maybe you need to initiate some meaningful relationships. Maybe you need to join a group today. That'd be awesome. Maybe you need to develop your relationship with your church a little bit more. Maybe jump in. Maybe you've been on the fence on this thing. Say, no, I'm, I'm committing to this. This is going to be my church. Maybe you need to develop relationships with godly friends, people who are going to come around you and help you become who God created you to be. Maybe you need to develop relationships with the team, develop your relationship with God. Which one, which one do you need to work on this week? Uh, last summer... I close with this. Last summer in Panama City, Florida, Roberta Ursi and, and her husband were at the beach. And, uh, and they're, they're hanging out on the beach. They're there with their, their kids, their sons, and their nephews. And uh, they brought their, their mom along with them. This is a true story. Last summer. And so the, the kids are out there playing in the water, and they get caught in a riptide. And, and the kids are, are going out further and further, and the parents are, like, starting to freak out. They're like, our kids are going to drown. Like, we got to do something. And so the people on the shore are like, no, that's a, that's a rip current. Like, you don't, you don't need to go out there. Like, you're, you're going to die if you go out there. And they say, it's my kids. I can't, I got to do something. They go out there, and they get caught in this tide too. The grandma's watching all this from the beach, right? She's about to, she's literally watching nine family members die in front of her eyes. And it's overwhelming to her. So she, she literally has a heart attack on the beach. And the people on the beach are watching this, and they're, they're, they're about 100 feet out from shore now and 15 feet of water, and their heads are bobbing, the waves are crashing. They're like, we got to do something. So they, they say, we can't just watch these people die. And so they, they get a plan. They say, the big guys, Gary and Tim, you're going in first. So we lock arms. And, and we got a picture of this. Check this out. 80 people lock arms. 
They say, we're not going to allow this to happen on our watch. They go out there, and they begin to rescue one at a time. They send them down the line. These people are locking arms. We got another picture. Check this out. You can see it a little bit better. Right there. They risk their lives. They brave the waves because they realize we can't allow this to happen on our watch. We're better together. So my question to you is, will you lock arms with us? Will you lock arms with this church? Will you lock arms with the people sitting next to you? Because they need you. It's ground zero every day for someone here in this room. And I'm the pastor, but I can't be there for everyone. But together we can be there for someone. Right? And we will be a church that is a rescuing church. We will be a church that says, not on our watch, San Jose. We will brave the waves. We will go out into the deep end. It's unknown. It's scary. I get it. But we're going to be better together. The only way we get there is we got to lock arms. We, we, I can't do it alone. Gary can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We need each other. We are better together. And we got to develop some relationships very intentionally, very carefully. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of this body called the church. And God, I'm so thankful that we don't just lock arms with each other, but God, we get to lock arms with you. And God, there's nothing impossible with you at the helm. So Jesus, I pray that you would help everyone under the sound of my voice to develop some strong relationships, to become the people that you created us to be. God, I pray that you would help us to lock arms together to rescue those drowning in our backyards right in front of us, God. 1.7 million people don't know you right here in our community, in our county. God, help us. We need you. Give us courage, I pray, to step into the waters. Give us tenacity, God, to not fear what's ahead of us. But God, to know that you are with us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Help us, God, to be that church. In Jesus' name, amen.